look at you. You came. Snow, Monday night. Hello. <laughs> Thank you. I think I'm going to tell the people in Colorado Springs they're not as tough as the people in northeast Indiana. What a joy to be with you. Just while I'm waiting for the PowerPoint to come up, what we do is very unique. I am brokenhearted that we talk about walking by the Spirit, but in fact, much of the time we walk by the flesh. And in reality, can you imagine a professional football team with the coach standing up and saying, this is a football, here's how you play the game, you're the quarterback, you're the tight end, you're the wide receiver, and here's the play we're going to go run, everybody got it, good, go, sick them. No, they practice and they practice and they practice and they practice before they begin to approach the game. We're not in a game, we're in a war. In the church, we just talk at you, we don't practice the presence that we've been singing about for a half hour. We don't practice. And so that's what we'll be doing, and you're welcome to stay. There's absolutely no pressure, but you're welcome to stay. Tonight I'm going to hopefully talk with you about Jesus, and let me just just put it in perspective. I'm, I'm not stalling, though I really am, but this is what I'm going to be saying Jesus was the greatest disciple that ever lived because he didn't say or do or even conclude anything independently of his Father. We talk about being full of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God seldom forces his way. Most of our prayers, if you listen to our prayers, most of them are asking us asking God to act in power when most of the time what he does is speak, ask us to listen, believe, and step out of the boat, and then he empowers. We want to just say, oh God, do it. And he says, no, we're married. Most of the time. So our prayers would be better there's all kinds of prayers, not right. And there's no bad prayers, are there? Everybody say, no bad prayers. Everybody say, no bad prayers. No bad prayers. But, but in reality, we need to understand that much of the time, God makes possible by the presence of His Spirit through speaking to us. And it is our responsibility to listen. My sheep do hear my voice. We have to learn to recognize. And that's what we'll practice in this meeting, is recognizing the voice of God and recognizing the activity of God. So we need to learn to recognize, believe, step out of the boat, and then God says, I will empower. Okay? So, um, I think, let me, I'm not getting this to go forward. You're not plugged into did you do that or did I do it? You did it. Um, if, you're, if you've got it set up as a part of the process we already did, it has to be independent of that. I'm sorry, folks. Um, is it, it should just be right on the screen. If not, 
I can just point to you if we can't get it to forward by my doing it remotely. So, here we go. <laughs> Are we having fun? Let's try it again. I've, oh, it's, aha, oh, you did it. Way to go. Um, you stood a long time, and I appreciate that. And, and I'm going to say let's be seated just because you've been standing so long. But what I want us to read together is the Word of God. It's not something we wrote. And I hope the things that are written as songs that we sing are inspired. We don't have any question about this. This is the Word of God. So can we honor the Word of God even if we stay seated? But would you read it with me? Let's read together. We know that we've come to know Him if we keep His commands. True or false? You know, there's a whole lot of people who attended church yesterday in the United States who've been brought up in a theological position that, that is not, in my opinion, biblical, but they think it is. And they would, if I wasn't quoting Scripture, they would think, if I said that, they would think it was legalism. Are you aware of that? That's, not, that's Jesus speaking through John. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's, let's keep going. <laughs> Maybe it'll get better. Here we go. Let's try this. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Well, now, now it's not only better. I mean, it's worse. And it's, it's mean. I mean, calling us liars. <laughs> Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. Whoever says, I have relationship with God, I'm saved, I'm in the family of God, okay, I know Him, I, I, but doesn't do what He commands, you're a liar. Phew. Boy. Well, here we go. But if anyone obeys His word, love for God is truly made complete in Him. This is how we know we are in Him. Oh, good. Now, now, now we're going to get to the good news. <laughs> Phew. I've been nervous about this, but now... Okay, here we go, here we go. This is how we know we're in Him. You're kidding. Me? Walk as Jesus walked? Notice, this is how we know we are in Him. In Him. That, that means in Christ, in the family, born again, redeemed. Saved. You know all our words? That, that's what in Him means. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. Ooh. I want my wife to stand up and just read that real loudly. You don't need the mic. Just... True or false? Pastor Brady, would you stand and read it? Oh, that's just a nice verse. Anyone else want to read it for us? Yes. Huh. Well, I guess... Do you, do you know how Jesus walked? I guess we better figure that out. Hmm? Well, let, let's go for it. How did Jesus walk? And Lord, I do ask you, we've been praying this, 
But I ask you to give us ears to hear your word, your spirit. Okay, how did Jesus walk? If we had time, you could all, you could all tell us a little bit. But one time I asked that question, and, and it must have been a, when I was a youth pastor, because the kid said, on his legs. And I said, oh, thank you very much. No one, we don't know. Adults would never say that, would they? Oh, they <laughs> will. Or uh, actually, another time someone said, well, he walked on water, and they were really saying something. They were really saying Jesus walked in power, and he did. He did. And we're, we're a night behind, and I'm, I, I'm not going to probably, unless I get led to do otherwise, normally tomorrow night I would talk to you about how Jesus walked by the Holy Spirit. And I would, uh, most people don't realize that, that when Jesus emptied himself of his prerogatives as God, became like us in every way, and was tempted in all ways like where he really became like us, but he was indwelt by the Holy Spirit and led by the Spirit. And everything that Jesus did in power, he did by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And I would show you a bunch of scripture to demonstrate that. Most people don't even understand that. Which, of course, makes sense when he says, it's better that I go away because if I go away, then I'll send my spirit to be in you. And if I go and the spirit comes to be in you, then the things I do, you too shall do because I go to the Father. If I go to the Father, I send the spirit. And, and I'd like to preach that tomorrow night, but I don't think I'm going to get to. But maybe the Lord will change my mind. I, I do want him to guide me in that. But Jesus walked in power, as we are called to. And, and, it, and, and it's supposed to be normal for us to be the body of Christ and say what Jesus said and do what Jesus did. Uh, what was Christ actually like? Uh, I don't know how many of you are a part of the tribe that I grew up in. Uh, I, I've been Nazarene since before I was born, like it or not. And, uh, you know, I am. And, and our tribe really cares about holiness, at least in, I mean, you know, at least we talk about it. And, but, but some people will say, well, he was holy. And that's exactly right. Just as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all you do. But he is holy, then calls us to be like him, holy in all we do. But Jesus' power and even Jesus' holiness are not root. They are fruit. They're byproduct of something deeper. As would be true for us. To the degree that we walk in godliness, in Christ-likeness, in holiness, and that would include power, to the degree that we walk in that, it's fruit, but it's not root. Are you farmers enough to know? I'm not a farmer. I, I understand fruit and root. Okay. So, but, but tonight I want to st- move back a step and talk about what was Jesus like? How did Jesus walk? A- and, and I'm going to get to another, uh, um, an earlier fruit. And then I'm going to get to what I think is the root of it all in how Jesus walked. And that, therefore, is how we are to walk. And, and so let me, let me start by just pointing this out. Jesus talks about himself. And in talking about himself, Jesus says that he didn't do anything apart from his Father. Apart. Separated. 
The son can do nothing by himself. That doesn't mean that he didn't have the ability to walk from Jerusalem to Jericho. He could do that by himself. He could put his hand in rice and put it in his mouth. He could do that by himself. What this means, the focus here is on the by himself. The son can do nothing. The son will not allow himself, the will, the son will not allow himself to do anything independently of father. He cannot do only what he sees the father doing. So that everything that Jesus did, he says, it's because I was led by my father. I I saw my father. I knew that that's what my father wanted me to do. The Father and I are one, and so I'm the follower of the Father, and I do whatever the Father shows me to do, and nothing more. The Son can do nothing by Himself. See, Jesus was saying, the Son is absolutely dependent on everything He does for direction from the Father. That's how Jesus... That's what made Him sinless. See, the essence of sin... I'm not trying to be too theological here, although I am, but I'm not talking about some of the traditional definitions that many of us have heard of, depending on what camp you came up in. But the real essence of sin is just leaving God out. It's ignoring God or being independent of God. It's saying either God doesn't exist or He doesn't matter. I'm going to do my thing. And that's the essence of our sin. We are born independent. We're born without God. We're born in the dark. And we don't have relationship with God. And so we are born in the dark and we grow up learning to be independent. In fact, our country, we celebrate it. <laughs> we should have a... No, never mind. I, I, that was not of the Lord. I about said something I shouldn't say. <clears throat> but Jesus said, uh-uh. I will, I will do nothing independently of my Father. The two of us are one. And I follow my Father. The table I did yesterday and it went away. But... I got the idea for that table from how Jesus lived his life. He, he had thoughts just like we do, didn't he? He was tempted in every way. That's a lot more than you've ever been tempted, right? He was tempted, and, and Jesus had emotions because he had thoughts, and he had desires. He had all kinds of, every desire that you've ever had that you would say is evil, Jesus had, he was hit with those temptations. See? But he would never Say yes to his flesh. He, the word became flesh, but the flesh never dominated Jesus. Jesus said, the son can do nothing by himself. The son was always dependent. You got the idea? See, that's how Jesus lived his life. So when he says, if you've seen the son, you've seen the father. Because everything the son does is precisely what is in the heart, the soul of the father. And the son just makes it tangible, material, fleshly. This is what God looks like in the flesh. And nothing more or less, because I do nothing apart from my Father. That's how Jesus walked. That's a narrow way. Right? Dependent, not independent. Well, there's more. He, he, He didn't even say anything apart from the Father. I do nothing on my own. Hear it there? There it is, very loud. I do nothing on my own. I always do it because the Father and I are married. The two of us are one. I do nothing on my own, but I speak just what the Father has taught me. A millisecond ago, a month ago, a decade ago, before the foundation of the world. makes no difference. I I say nothing independently of my Father. It's always dependent on Him. 
and I say what he wants me to say. It's his word that I say. That's how Jesus walked. Everybody say, that's narrow. Are you here? Everybody say, that's narrow. I got the bright lights in my eyes. I can't see you. I have to hear you. Not really. Just blind. <laughs> Jesus said, here's, here's how I live my life. This, uh, this isn't theologians in the 5th century or the 10th century. This is Jesus telling about himself. He, he's a pretty good theologian, you know. I do nothing on my own. Speak just what the Father's taught me. It gets even stronger. Jesus said that he didn't even come to make judgments on his own. He said, by myself, hear the words, by myself, I can do nothing. Now, he could have, in the sense he had the provision, he had the power, but he would not. The will. Hear little King Will coming through? By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. How many judgments have you made already today? Lots of them. Lots of things happened. You quickly came to a conclusion. You've made judgments about me. You did that yesterday morning. You haven't changed it since. No. I mean, we do it all the time. We, we make judgments. See, we gather information and we come to a conclusion. Jesus said, I will not come to conclusions on my own, but I'm married to my father. The two of us are one, and I don't do anything independently at the very core of my being. As a man thinks, so is he. As a son of man thinks, so is he. I want to think precisely with my father, so I've got lots of things coming in. But I always say, hold just a second. Father, what do you think? Is that fair? Is that how Jesus lived his life? See? That's how he walked. My, 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 that's narrow. If anyone is in Christ, he will walk as Jesus walked. Now let me say quickly, we must never forget that man looks on the outward appearance. God sees the heart. And the heart of the heart is the will. And if my will is set to walk as Jesus walked, which includes doing nothing apart from the Father, nothing independently of the Father, no acts, no words, no judgments. God who knows the heart knows that I'm saying yes. And he knows if my will is set to it, that all he has to do is speak and I'll make progress. And I'm determined and together we partner. His grace makes it possible, but I partner, I cooperate with him. And so tonight, and I'm going to give you a chance later on, tonight, none of you could say, oh, Jesus, I will from this day forward never say anything, do anything, or come to conclusions on my own. I, from this day forward, am only going to do everything I do in partnership with you. You'd be extremely naive to say that tonight. And you set yourself up for miserable failure. But tonight, you could say, and if a, if a significant number of us here would say, we are going to be biblical Christians. I just said something. We're going to be biblical Christians, not cultural Christians. We're going to be biblical Christians, and thus we will set our will to walk as Jesus walked, which includes that we're determined before we do things to be sure it's what God wants us to do. One hour a week. Four hours a week, 
10 hours a week or 24 7? 24, thank you, 168. And God tells us to sleep, doesn't he? I set my will. Every one of us tonight could, because God's grace is present to do that. God's spirit, that's the will of God. So he, he will make it possible for in your heart, you tonight, to say, My will is set. My will is set, Jesus. I'm going to walk as you walk, and here's some specific ways. And imagine how much help you'd need. If your will was set, <laughs> you'd say, I'm a miserable wretch. You'd, you'd write songs like Amazing Grace. What a wretch. I, because the closer I get to Jesus, the more I realize I'm not like him. I used to think I was a pretty good Christian. You know what I mean? Tonight we could set our will. If we will. And that's the call. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. True or false? I'm calling us tonight. And I'm so impressed that you're here. Thank you. Thank you. Bless you. Let me go ahead. And and I thinking I wouldn't talk about the Holy Spirit tomorrow night. I, I filled this in. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. It's one thing to be full of the Spirit. It's another thing to be led by the Spirit. You have all of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. The moment you became a Christian, the moment you literally, truly, authentically repented, the greatest, most amazing, stunning miracle imaginable happened. Christ, by His Spirit, came to dwell in you in His fullness. You didn't get one-fourth of the Holy Spirit. You didn't get a baby Holy Spirit. You got the same Holy Spirit that indwelt Jesus. You got the same Holy Spirit that brooded and created the universe. That Spirit, with all the power, all the wisdom, and all the grace of God, indwells every one of us who are biblically Christians. So it's not that we don't have the provision. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, but he was led. That Holy Spirit will seldom, he, he can anytime he wants, he's God, but he will seldom force his will through you. Right? Because you're made for relationship, not for coercion, not for to be just become robotic, holy ro- robots. You just, well, for, no, no, no. There's a real relational process going on. And it requires us listening and getting sensitive, which is what we practice in our meeting. It it requires us being sensitive so that though filled with the Spirit, we will actually be led by the Spirit. Many, 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 many Christians, very sincere, very devout in the sense of they're, they're living out what they've understood it meant to be a Christian. And they're sincere about it. Are not led nearly as much as they desperately need to be. And thus they experience all kinds of things that are bad for them, bad for the kingdom, bad for their families, bad for God, bad for everyone. So it's paramount that we determine. And tonight we can set our will. I'm going to walk as Jesus walked. No judgments, no words, no acts. Apart from being guided. And I'm going to be led by the Spirit, not make the Holy Spirit follow me. That's big. That's big. So Jesus walked by the Spirit. How how is it, though, that Jesus could so sensitively walk like this? 
How, how could he do it? I don't know for sure. I have an opinion. I'm going to take the next 30 minutes to share it with you. And <clears throat> Stanley, I'm giving you two or three sermons each time I stand up. Is that okay? I'll be gone Thursday, and that's why I have to give you so much here. Okay. How did Jesus walk so sensitively, so dependently? I've got an idea. See if it seems good to you. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Where he got along with his father. Incidentally, Jesus, when he got along with his father, I kind of don't think that he spent three-fourths of the prayer time explaining to the father how things are on the planet. I think he knew that the father probably knew what's going on. I think that most of the time that Jesus was with the Father, there were things going on. He was, he, was, he was getting clear. He was seeking to get the Father's perspective, both by getting what's in Him out in the open or listening to the Father. So very early notice that it doesn't say early in the morning, early 6 o'clock. Very early must be about 4 o'clock. And it's significant to me that, that Jesus didn't take primary time away from being with people, being with his disciples, being among the people. He, he, didn't, he, he didn't do that. He, I mean, he, he, he didn't take prayer time away from being with people. He, he, he did it while others were sleeping. He, see, he really loved people. He, he, he denied himself and took up his cross. This sounds familiar. <laughs> Very early in the morning. And if we're going to walk as Jesus walked, hmm. And there, this isn't about rules. This isn't about laws. This is about relationship and guidance. There's no, there's no formula here. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And I'm thinking, wow, wow, that, that's, that's good, Jesus. How often do you do that? Well, often. Jesus withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking, now, now Lord... Uh, you know, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He, he came that the whole world through him might be saved. Jesus, Jesus if you know what I mean, he kind of had a Messiah complex. I mean, you know, I mean, he kind of thought he was the savior of the world. That, that's, a big, that's a big job description. That's a big day job. But, but Jesus, Jesus didn't cheat on his day job to do his most important job, which was to be with his father. He often would do the lonely places and pray. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray, and he spent the night. I'm thinking, don't you know you, you stay up all night, you're going to get sick or something. But, I mean, what, what was it? What, what was it? How is it that Jesus, I mean, the Messiah, the, the God-man, what is he doing spending all this time alone? It's amazing. I've, I've called quite a few all-night prayer meetings. Got embarrassing because about quarter to ten, I go to sleep each time. And that's not, you know, I pretend like I was praying on the floor and I was, no, and, and then everybody, but, I mean, I'm, I'm not good at this. But Jesus, being alone with the Father was terrifyingly important to Jesus. Do you think he knew what he was doing? If Jesus 
walk that way. If Jesus, for whatever reason, spent all that time alone, how important is what we call prayer? Not corporately, but privately. How important? I think I'll take time just just to, I'm just going to the, the, the biggest prayer the longest prayer that we have recorded that Jesus prayed John 17 and it's worth it deserves several hours but let me just say at the end of the chapter Jesus tells us one of the things that he prayed about I mean he didn't tell us he just did it and so we get what he prayed about at the end of the chapter Jesus prays for all those who would ever come to him through his disciples that would be us and everyone else who was there. Jesus prayed for lost people. See, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't pray when it came to doing miracles. He, everybody wants to be healed. There's no fight with the human will. Jesus says, boom, be healed. He commanded healing. But when it comes to people coming to the Father, He knows that, that God made us in His own image and we're all little kings. And, and God doesn't knock our crown off. He doesn't force us to turn Him. So Jesus knew that this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. And Jesus poured out His heart for lost people. A lot of churches longing, seriously longing to help the broken, the beaten, the battered who in the dark and they're lost and they plan and they try to create events, but you can't get them to pray. Jesus, pray. Jesus, I think Jesus probably understood the law of intercession. I think he wrote it. <laughs> Jesus thought it was important that there are people who are very lost. They're not talking to God. They don't even believe God exists. Or if He does, He doesn't matter, right? And, and, and so Jesus says, you can have a priestly ministry. That means if the law of intercession says, if you will pray for someone else as if they were themselves praying, God says, I'll count it. And, and if someone is praying for themselves, God responds, but if they're not praying and someone else is praying for them, God says, I'll count it as if they themselves are praying. And Jesus prayed for lost people. Do you think, do you think maybe it would be helpful if we figured out that a great investment of our time, Jesus, Jesus thought it was important to take time to pray. And one of the things we know for sure that he prayed about was lost people. It breaks my heart. I was a pastor 40 years and probably miserable leader. I don't know. But... but Man, we could call people to do a lot of things, but I call a lot of prayer meetings. I, we said we believed in prayer. And of course, that tries to know we believe in God who told us to pray. So, but I, I don't know. Another thing Jesus prayed in that prayer, John 17, you know it, I, su- I assume, that, that the bulk of that prayer, the bulk of John 17 was not for lost people. The biggest part was for his disciples, his church. And you know what is he prayed for them? That they'd be sanctified. Once again, God doesn't, God just doesn't force. He don't just proclaim. Be, I mean, everybody wants to be healed. Not everybody wants to be sanctified. Not everyone wants to offer themselves as a living sacrifice to go beyond basic obedience that's required, but to go on to laying down your life and offering yourself entirely to God for His purposes, dying in time. Just saying, oh Lord, I'm all yours. I'm not waiting for you to tell me what to do. I'm hanging out with you, begging me, to sh- begging you to show me because I'm yours. Jesus knew the people don't get there 
easily. That it's a fight for the heart and soul. And so he spent the majority of that prayer praying for his guys to be sanctified. Sanctify them by the truth. Protect them by the power of your name. Protect them from the evil one. As I sanctified myself, sanctify them. And, and, and I hear, I hear us complaining about the church. Let's quit complaining about it. And let's call a prayer meeting and pray for God to deliver us from ourselves. See? That's some of the things I know Jesus prayed about. Prayed all night long. I'm going to tell you another moment in Jesus' prayer life about how he prayed through. Uh, and maybe before we go there, honey, come tell us this story. Well, Stephanie was only 11 when she found out there was a work and witness team that was going to uh, Australia. And so she said, Daddy, Daddy, can I go? Honey, that costs $3,000. Oh, but Daddy, I think Jesus wants me to go. Well, if you can find the $3,000, you can go. (laughs) She knew the right people to call, and pretty soon she was on the team. So they went down to Australia. Now, the idea was that they were going to go down to this university, and when they got there, they were going to share the gospel with the people on the campus. But when they got there, they found out they had just elected a new ASB president that was an atheist, and she said there will be absolutely no Christian activity on this campus. The team had spent thousands of dollars to get there. So they went to a room. And they began to pray. Oh, except Stephanie. She went up to the student body officer's office, knocked on the president's door and said, Hi, my name's Stephanie. I'm from America. And I'm going to be praying that you give your life to Jesus. Oh, and I'm not going back to America until you do. Bye. (laughs) And she went back to the room and began to pray. Well, they prayed all through Monday. They prayed all through Tuesday. And... Wednesday morning, or no, Tuesday night, about 7 o'clock, Stephanie began to wail. And she called out to God. She just began to wail in deep, deep groans. And and the adults were all concerned about her, and they put their arm around her and and tried to calm her down. Honey, honey, it's okay, it's okay. And and they kind of looked at each other. I knew we shouldn't have brought the kid. And they were just trying to calm her down. And and that went on from 7 o'clock until 11 o'clock. And at 11 o'clock, she was at peace. She had prayed through. Wednesday morning, there was a knock at the door, and a disheveled, upset, messed up, hair a mess student body president was at the door. She said, where is that little girl? I came here to give my life to Jesus. I want to see the little girl. And of course... They brought her in, and she made Jesus the king and lord of her life. She got up in front of the whole student body, and she said, There's a group from America here. They've got a very important message for you. And if you want to hear what Jesus has done for me, I'll meet you in the cafeteria. You see, there was a little girl who heard the Holy Spirit, who obeyed the Holy Spirit, who prayed until she prayed through and God took care of the rest Amen Do you believe in 
intercessory prayer. I love that I see your pastor seeking to lead you in that. Do you know what Jesus is doing right now? What has he been doing for 2,000 years? He ever lives to... If we're going to walk as Jesus walked... Hmm? All night? Well, he didn't give us a law. Very early? Well, he didn't give us a law. Regularly, often? Well, he ever lives to make intercession. I'm weighing. I, I think I'm going to just cheat a little bit and take the time. I think you're well acquainted with the person that I want to talk to you about for a moment. I didn't know him five years ago, but now we've become very, very close friends. I found out, I heard his story. His story is that, and he didn't tell me this, I just knew it from others. He was a very, very intelligent, brilliant young man who was called to be a pastor, went off to seminary, got great grades. He was just, just learned everything, was fabulous. And he graduated from seminary. His dad, who'd been a pastor, who now became a district superintendent, asked his son to come pastor a difficult church on his district. It was a church at one point had been up to three or 400 people, but now it kind of in the city that is changing, and it was down to 70 people now. And his dad called him, and they had a pretty big building, you know, and 70 people, and he, he said, would you come? Corey prayed about it, and he came. Well, he'd learned everything you need to learn in seminary, and he'd gone to all the church growth methods, and he knew all the stuff to do, and so he worked his fingers to the bones for several years, and he worked and worked, put everything he knew into it, gave himself to it, and after a few years, he'd gotten that church all the way to 17 people. He said it was the most terrifying thing imaginable. His dad was his boss, district superintendent. He said every Monday he had to call his dad with a report of the attendance and the offering. He said, never so tempted to lie in his life, but he figured he probably better not. <laughs> Killing him. He was ready to quit. Someone said, why don't you go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church and see what happens? He went. He got there. He discovered something he didn't know existed. They prayed. I, I don't mean little short, little you know, 15 minutes. They prayed. And, and, and he heard about it and wasn't sure what that meant. So he decided he, the, the, the meeting he'd go to was a Tuesday night. And, and he heard they had these prayer meetings. Now, they had a sanctuary that was quite a bit bigger than this. It would seat about 1,500. I don't know what you see. Maybe it was about maybe this size. I don't know. But anyhow, it was a pretty big sanctuary. And, and so he, 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 he decided he'd go a little bit early just to check out things in the church. He knew that there'd be no problem getting in until he got there. And you couldn't get in the door. And there was a long, long line down the street. And he said, what's going on? I said, well, you have to stand in the back of the line. Because inside, they were praying up a storm. And all about 1,500 seats were full. And there were ushers all over the place. And they would come and go. And when two people had prayed enough, they would get out and leave. And the ushers would say two. And they'd signal the usher out there. They'd let two more people come. They'd usher them over. And then they had those seats. Just like going to a restaurant. Only it was prayer. So I experienced that. And these people prayed, and they prayed. They would praise, and they would pray. They would praise, and they would pray. And they just prayed like, like, it, like it was important. And he was overwhelmed. 
because he knew what had happened in that church the preceding decade. So he thought the Lord was saying to him, make prayer the priority of your church. So he went home. And, and he announced to his 17 people, he said, we're going to change things around here. I don't know what else we're going to do, but we're going to quit all this other stuff we're doing, and we're going to make sure that we're praying. That's the first priority of the church. We're going to pray. And immediately, the only tithing family left. Joy, joy. So, they prayed. And they prayed. I have no idea how they kept going. They prayed. And they prayed. A couple years ago, Debbie and I, Got to go there to speak. Fairly large sanctuary. Two services we couldn't get in. So crowded. And when we when we walked when we walked in, everybody they they squeezed the tar out of us. They just hugged us and hugged us. And while they're hugging us, they said, "Do you know that I used to be a drug addict and Jesus transformed me?" He said, "Do you know our marriage was on the rocks and we prayed and God did something and we're now our marriages together." And they they drove us crazy with their testimony because they'd seen Jesus who speaks but when his people pray he acts if my people you've got it big print did you see that as you walked in have you noticed it say it with me if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and then and I will and heal their land Forgive, hear, forgive, and heal. Do we need healing? I don't know about your church. Brady hadn't talked to me about this at all. I just know what's going on most places. Pastors are starting to figure out we don't have, we don't have what it takes. We need the power of God. And then they try to call their people to pray. And people don't have time. My job tonight is to say, Jesus had time. And Jesus took time. And maybe Jesus did know what he was doing. You with me? And if we're to walk as Jesus walked, this isn't optional. Now, how to do it, there's a thousand ways of skinning a cat, you know. But that we do it is of the essence. I I plead with pastors. I don't need to do this. You've got a fabulous pastor. I, I plead with pastors. Call prayer meetings. They say, but nobody will come. I say, with only five people come, that's good. You get a chance to practice. The fewer the better. Just tell them that. It's not a problem. Just call prayer meetings. And they say, nobody. I say, if no one comes, you get to be with Jesus all by yourself. You don't have to share him. Call prayer meetings. I think your pastor's calling prayer meetings. I've heard of several. Way to go. Bless you. Oh, the church needs the glory of God. We've seen what men can do. We can get 50,000 people together to watch guys play football. People will come to events. We need the power of God. This kind comes out only by... Well, one of the things that I kind of believe, I'm pretty sure I believe, and I'm not strong enough about it to say it's for sure the truth, but I think the fact that Jesus spent so much time alone with the Father is how it is that he was able to keep sensitive on his boat was being rocked by everything. So it was never me. It was always we. Jesus was never just him. It was always him and his Father. 
I think it's because of all those hours spent in prayer, renewing, reviving. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't an occasional, once a year, getaway, little retreat. It was all the time. And I'm going to skip through this fast. When Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, I, I'd like to talk about that, but we'll let it go. Same thing here, Jesus was praying. He went up to the mountainside to pray. And, and the only thing I want to say about this, notice how much is recorded about Jesus' prayer life. A lot. See, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. Now, the, now that couldn't be every night because some nights he was 60 or 70 miles away and donkeys don't run that fast, you know. But, but, but when he was in the area, I mean, we have to put it in context. When he was in the area, each evening he went out to spend the night. I didn't know he liked camping. I mean, he went out. Each, what do you think he did? Do you know? He went out. Spent the night praying. Dear friends, are we followers of Jesus? You can't legislate this. You can't. I don't want to, I don't want to intimidate. I don't... I, I just want us to come to grips with the truth. Christ's followers, those who are his disciples, Christians walk as Jesus walked. And we've drifted, we've drifted, we've drifted. We've been discipled more by the culture and the cultural church than by Christ. We're to be his disciples, not disciples of the culture and not disciples of the nominal church. Amen? Let me take time for one more story and I'll be through. You, you might be familiar with what this is. It's Luke 22, Luke 24, Jesus' resurrection. Luke 23, the cross. Luke 22, the garden, the Mount of Olives. So Jesus with his disciples and they've... they've, they've they had what we call the Last Supper, and they've had the conversations, and they've sung a hymn. And so Jesus says, come now, let us be going. And let me say, Jesus needed his church to pray for him. He said, come now, let us be going. This is right here. Jesus went out as usual, Mount of Olives, and prayed. Then he said, this is it, right here. Come now, let us be going. And so they head out, and, and Jesus is asking him to come out as usual to the mountain to pray with him. And, but as he's been talking through the weeks, the cross has been getting closer and closer to Jesus, more and more in the crosshairs of his awareness. It's been getting more dominant, more prominent in his mind. He's thinking about it more because he talks about it more. So he's thinking about the cross, and he's just now told them about what's going to happen and how they're going to deny him, but then come around. And, and so he's thinking about the cross, and he's explaining it to him. He says, come now, let's go to pray. And then he's thinking about the cross, and, and I don't know exactly what's going on in his mind, except he turns to his disciples. He just asks them to come with him, and then he says, no, stay here. Well, Lord, you told us, no, no, stay here. So he goes on a little ways, and he's thinking, he's thinking, and all of a sudden, he stops, and he turns around, and he goes back to his disciples, and he says, Pete, James, John, you guys, come with me. And the other guys say, huh? And so Peter, James, John get up, and they walk with Jesus, and, and, and they go away, and Jesus thinking about the cross, and he stops, and he says, no, you guys stay here. I mean, Jesus, what, what's, what's with that? 
I mean, this is our Jesus. You know, the one we revere. You know? And, and he's... And so finally, he gets off by himself, and we know he falls on his face. falls on his face, and he, he starts to pray. And we know the words, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. We all have it memorized. See? But he, he said the most stunning words imaginable. Could we change the mission from before the foundation of the world the Lamb of God was slain and Jesus knew that he was the Lamb of God he knew that there were a lot of things he was to accomplish but, the, but what, to make it all work he had to die on the cross to open up the door so that whosoever will could come if they would come he came to be the Savior of the world his mission he had to go through the cross he knew it they talked about it they'd agreed to it and now here he is saying Father can we abort the mission? Jesus, what? What's going on? You've been thinking. As a man thinks, so is he. You've been, look, you've been watching. And the cross is right there. And now he's, do you know what he was doing? He was sweating blood. He was sweating blood. Once when I was telling this, I said, the Bible, some translations say he was sweating blood. Some translations say his sweat was like blood. And a guy, I mean, a woman came up to me afterwards. She was a Ph.D. in some kind of biology. And she said, you do understand, don't you, that when the human body gets under enough stress, the blood vessels near the surface of the skin break, and the most easy route of escape is through the sweat gland. And then a doctor told me later, oh, yeah, that's a, that's, a common dis- I mean, that's a common disease. We have a name for it. He told me the name. It was a big, long name. I don't remember it. Jesus was sweating blood. He was stressed. I've never sweat blood. Have you? I, anybody ever been stressed? Probably all of us say, yeah. I've never been stressed like that. He was sweating blood. He's laying on his face. He's so at the cross. He's bleeding before he goes to the cross because of the cross. Mm-hmm. And so he says to the Father, if it be possible. We don't know what else Jesus said, but he was there an hour and he didn't pray through like Stephanie did. He goes back to his disciples and says, come on, guys, I need you. Uh-huh. He's in a battle. Goes back by himself. Another hour. Doesn't pray through. Goes back to his disciples. They're asleep. Goes back a third time. Now, I don't know what happened. We don't have much record. But I do know something I experienced. I'm going to tell you my experience. You take it or leave it. It was authentic for me. It might have been only for me. I've asked the Lord if he wants me to tell this, and I've gotten the green light. But it's for me. If it's for you, take it. One night I'd been asked, I mean, I'd been asked to teach a Sunday school class when I was a college senior. 
And so being a typical college kid, it was about 2 o'clock on Sunday morning. I was preparing. And, and I'm there, and I'm working through this very passage of Scripture. I'm studying. I'm thinking about it. Thinking about Jesus. Three hours. Sweating blood. And, and as I'm looking at Jesus in his third hour, I, I have a picture of him. I, I, I get it. I get a. I guess you call it a vision or something. And I see him there, crumpled up, drained, emptied. Which, incidentally, the noise in our heart keeps us from hearing. And who knows how much Jesus poured out, poured out, poured out. See, the first part of John 17, Jesus talked about his relationship with his father. It's one of the things he did in prayer. He he worked on his relationship with his father. And so, there he was. Crumpled. Emptied. And then, in my mind, I saw and I heard some things happen. I didn't see the Father, but I had thoughts that I never had. I didn't make them up. They just came. I think it was God. I don't know. I think it was the Holy Spirit. But I, I, I heard in my mind a voice saying, Son, do you know how much I love you? It wasn't loud. and But Jesus heard it. And... And I, I heard it, and he heard it, and and his head came up, and his eyes, he just sweat, mud, blood, his eyes squinty. They looked up, and the cross kind of moved out a little ways, and he looked up. And I was sure that he heard the Father. Son, do you know how I love you? I'm listening. I'm so thrilled with you. I so honor you. You've done what no one else has done. And I heard this. Everyone else ignored me. Everyone else did their own thing. You have not. You have always walked with me, never independently of me. Your whole life, you've been sinless. And I am so pleased with you. And I hear you pleading with me to deliver you from the cross. And I will you want me to but I'm not going to make the decision you will either lay down your life or take it up by your choice I'll not choose but I will tell you this before you decide and I heard all this much quicker than I'm saying it to you before you decide let me tell you you know how deeply I love you and how thrilled I am. I'm not thrilled with Abraham and Jacob and Moses like I am with you, but, but I love them like I do you. And, and I love Peter and James and John, and I love Judas, and I love Herod, and I love Pilate, and I love people down throughout the church. I love them all. I'm not pleased with them the way I'm pleased with you, but I just need you to know, you're so close to the finish line. If you if you could if you could just just run this last little bit of the race, you're so close, and I'll be with you. I'll help you before you make up your mind. No, I'll be with you. And Jesus is looking up at the Father, and his eyes start to come alive. He hears the Father affirming who he is and what he's done. He looks back and he feels love for the Father who loves him. But he looks back and he feels the Father's love for Abraham and Moses and Peter and and the love of God. I could see it 
see it in his eyes, compassion as he looked back and as he looked forward. And all of a sudden I realized Jesus is standing up. And now he's strong and he's resolute. He, he, he's got the truth. He, he's heard it. He, he, it was never absent from him. He just was so focused. Now the cross is down there. And Jesus is looking up. He's looking at people. And now he says, come to his disciples. Come now. Let us be going. And, and he set his face like flint, Isaiah says. And he headed toward the cross. You know why? Because he had the greatest father-son meeting in all of history. Yeah. Father did for him what good fathers do. They, they love and they value and they accept, but then they show the children the bigger picture and help them to see so that the kids renew or get new for the first time the big picture and then are strengthened in the inner core. And Jesus was strengthened. He came into the garden an absolute mess. He walked out, <laughs> shot like a bullet. There are a lot of you who have been following Jesus quite a while and you've taken up your cross and it's gotten heavy. And you're weary, tired. Hard to carry, hard to deny yourself long term. Jesus had this secret. He got clean. He got renewed. He got vision. And it gave him what he needed from him. You see, it's not what happens on the outside, it's what's going on in our hearts. He got it. I'm not sure how many people are really burned out. I think they just don't have a garden. Gotten so busy. We don't have a garden. Tonight I want to invite you, like Jesus, to walk as he did, to keep going to the garden so you can carry the cross he's called you to carry. It matters. Your life matters. We're the hope of the world. We're the light of the world. we got to keep going. But it can't just be treachery. It'll kill us. But if we see and we believe and we hear, this is my will, we have what it takes not just to obey the redundant, clear commandments of their basic core, but to sacrifice our life, to lay down our life for others, for God and others. This is the key. And this is the key for us being sensitive to Jesus all day long. Is more time, better time, alone with Him. With each other, with Him. More relationship with Him. When we're not distracted by everything else. It's hard to drive and work and do everything and talk with Jesus at the same time. We need the time. Where there's, there's just nothing else happening except Jesus and me or Jesus and we. We need the time. That's kind of old-fashioned, isn't it? <laughs> it, was, it was that night when I saw Jesus. When I... <laughs> Heard the Father said to him, you, don't, you know, that Jesus said that. The Son lays down his life of his own accord. When I heard the Father say, I won't make you. And Jesus said, I will. Because it's what you want. I will. That's the night that Jesus moved from being hero for me to being the one I wanted to die for. Wanted to live for. Wanted to give everything I could for him. 
what it will take for our lives, but we need to see Jesus. That will set us free. Amen. ask you tonight to make a holy resolve. If God by His Spirit has made it clear to you that there needs to be a set of your will to adjust your time alone with the Father or you're being led by the Spirit to make adjustments in the commitment of your heart Set of your will to time alone with the Father, practicing His presence all day. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, I want to ask you to very thoughtfully, carefully stand. I want to pray for you. Please don't stand. I, I, I know you wouldn't. Please don't stand because the person next to you stands. I, I just want people doing work with God. He's spoken and you're responding. You're not even sure exactly what that means. I want you to stand right now and I want to pray with you. Jesus, you alone know what you've said. We all have Impressions. Hopefully we got it straight. Here are a, a wonderful group of people who are saying, yes, Lord, to whatever you said to them. They are setting their will tonight to walk the way you did with respect to prayer, with respect to walking sensitively to you all day, following you, being led, or something else, whatever you've said to them. Holy Spirit, you've spoken. I ask you to act in power to make possible significant great progress. We're all so far from what we want to be. Could we make progress? Will you help us? I'm asking you not just to speak, but to do something. You see the blindnesses. You see the habits. You see the struggles. You know what's happened to us. We don't even know it. I ask you, Holy Spirit, do something. Come, Holy Spirit that will enable us to all walk more specifically as you walk, but to set our will firmly, saying, yes, Lord, what you said to me, the answer is yes. Thank you for helping us. Amen? Amen. Thank you, friends. Um, we'll meet in about five minutes in this room over here for anybody that would like to meet, and uh, we'll practice the presence of the Lord. Please don't hold up your pastor too long because I can't start the meeting without him, okay? And uh, if you'd like to stay, let's just make our way right over here, okay? We'll spend, this will be a long altar call, okay? <laughs> we'll spend about 50 minutes hanging out with Jesus, okay? <laughs>